I knew it either had to be switched this way or this way, one of the two. <laughs> uh, not, uh, not related to the message at all, just a, a comment on the last song. In the it, basic training for the army, uh, you had to learn how to march, and you had to learn how to march in, in step to the beat, and you had to make sure that you had the right foot down when you needed it. So they'd call out left, left, and uh, that whole time throughout that song, I felt like I was stepping right on a left, and so that <laughs> gives, <laughs> maybe you guys didn't struggle with it as much as I did, but anyway, we're going to be uh, in Isaiah chapter 6 this evening, Isaiah chapter 6, so you can feel free to turn in your Bibles to that. I'll read the passage, I'm only going to be reading the first eight verses. We'll pray, and I'll give you the message. Our Father, oh, I said I'll read it first. (laughs) In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Our Father, we are thankful for the word that we have, for the account that Isaiah experienced and the things that we can learn from it. We pray that your spirit would be among us, that he would give us understanding of your word, that we would apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So when we look at the world today, uh, what is your outlook? When you watch the news, when you see all the different world events that are happening, do you have a generally positive outlook on the world and the way that things are going? When you look at your country, do you say, man, I'm, I'm glad we're in a good spot right now. If things could keep going like this, that would be great. Now, when we look at the world, there is a great amount of instability, a great amount of instability. Uh, We can't even count on having uh, the same gas price every time we go to the gas station. Uh, We we don't know if we're going to wake up and Omaha looks like a giant orange mushroom, the way things are going. Uh, There's a lot of instability in the world, and that can cause a great deal of anxiety. Especially, you know, I don't think human beings were designed to take in as much information as we do on a daily basis with the news. Uh, We can be glued to the news and we watch it and we get more and more depressed as we look at it. But things aren't looking very positive for our world today. 
And that really is how things were at the time that this vision took place. In Isaiah chapter 6, it opens up with this. In the year of King Uzziah's death. Uzziah's death in the nation of Israel marked the end of a 52-year reign of relative peace, prosperity, and stability. 52 years King Uzziah reigned in Israel. That's kind of hard for us to imagine, having a leader ruling over the nation for that long. Uh, We get rid of our leaders every four to eight years. And here we have 52 years of Uzziah reigning. And by all accounts, Uzziah, for the most part, was a very godly king. He certainly wasn't perfect. And if we read of his account in Second Chronicles, we do see that he tried to take the role of a priest and offer sacrifice and immediately saw the error of his ways when the Lord struck him with leprosy. But generally speaking, in the history of Israel, in the history of Judah, Uzziah was one of the good ones. It would have been nice living under the reign of a king Uzziah because of the stability that that brought But here in chapter 6, we see that that stability has gone away. The one who had been king for uh, generations, it seems. Could you imagine? You could be born under the reign of this king and have children under the reign of this king and even grandchildren under the reign of this king. And now this king has died. uh, Isaiah finds himself in a nation that is very quickly becoming unstable in a world that is very unstable. The enemies of Israel are mounting and growing in power. The nation of Israel itself and the nation of Judah, uh, they are at odds with one another at this point in time in history. And even in Judah and Jerusalem, the place that was God's holy city, there's a great deal of sin, corruption, and wickedness. And Isaiah, this is where he finds himself. This is the ministry that he is in in a very unstable Israel after this time of peace, prosperity, and stability. And what does Isaiah do at this time? Well, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Isaiah did what we should all be doing. Isaiah was going before the Lord. He was entreating the Lord. He was likely praying to the Lord, and he's in the temple. And one of these events, one of these occasions, after the king Uzziah death, uh, Uzziah died, Isaiah, likely contemplating the future of his nation, the future of his people, his own people, is going before the Lord, and he is treated with this miraculous, this amazing encounter, where he sees the Lord. Now, when we hear of seeing the Lord, especially when we look at the New Testament, we see, well, People see the Lord all the time. Jesus was walking with his people all the time, and it was a very normal thing. Well, when we look in the Old Testament, we see that to see the Lord was not a normal thing. In fact, to see the Lord often meant certain death. When we remember Moses during the uh, wilderness journeys of the people of Israel, remember what Moses said He said, Lord, I want to behold you face to face. And the Lord says, no, no one can see me and yet live. Notice what happens every single time that the Lord appears before someone. 
They are immediately struck with great fear and terror once they realize that it is the Lord. And they immediately jump to the conclusion that they are going to die. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. It is a fearful thing to face God face to face. And here is Isaiah in the temple, and the Lord is on his throne, lofty and exalted, the train of his robe filling the temple. And that train of his robe, that's a picture of the glory of the Lord. When we think of a uh, wedding, we might picture a veil. And they don't really do this much in the, uh, in our day, in this current generation. But you've probably seen weddings where the bride has a veil that trains behind her. She's got a train on her dress, right? And that's a symbol, that's a picture of the glory of the bride, right? A, a picture of the beauty, the, the purity, the glory of the bride. Well, here we have the train of the robe of the Lord filling the temple. This train of the robe representing the glory of God. In fact, the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament even says, the temple was full of his glory, And it's a picture that we can't even really imagine in our own heads. Uh, But Isaiah tells us that he sees the Lord, the temple was filled with his glory. And he recounts this amazing scene where seraphim are standing above the Lord, each each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And they had one job, and that was to call out to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. And once again, this is a scene we can't really imagine. We, uh, it's hard to put it into words. Notice uh, Isaiah doesn't even really say all that much about it. He just simply says, I saw the Lord. And rather than describing the Lord, he spends more time describing the seraphim around him because, really, how can you describe the infinite being of God? But we see these seraphim, and we see even these seraphim are not willing to look upon the Lord. And remember, seraphim are sinless creatures. They are created by God. Uh, They were created upright. They are servants of God. They serve in his presence. And yet the glory of God is so great and the glory of God is so majestic that even these seraphim who serve in his presence are designed in a way that they would not behold the glory of the Lord. With two of the wings, they covered their faces. And with two of the wings, they covered their feet. Why? Because they dared not tread on sacred ground. What did God say to Moses when he appeared before Moses in the burning bush? Take off your shoes. You are on sacred ground. You are on holy ground. And what made that ground holy? Are there certain geographic locations that are better than others? Well, I would argue Iowa's a lot better than other places. But are there certain geographic locations that are holy in and of themselves? No. It was holy ground because the Lord was present there. And we see these angels, these seraphim, are designed in a way to be in the presence of God without being completely overwhelmed by his glory. And what is their job but to call out to one another, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So not only is the temple filled 
with the glory of the Lord, right? Pictured in this robe that he is wearing. But the very, the whole earth itself is full of the glory of the Lord. And we can recognize this. We can see this. What does the Psalm of David say? The heavens are telling the glory of God. We don't have to look very far to see the glory of the Lord in all of creation around us. We recognize his presence everywhere around us. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. What an amazing scene. Again, we can't really picture it. It's hard to put ourselves there. But how does Isaiah respond, right? We often hear people say uh, how they may respond if they were to encounter the God of the universe, those who are really belligerent and rebellious and don't really believe in God anyway may say something along the lines of, oh, if I saw God, I'd walk up to him and say, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Uh, why, uh, why aren't things the way that I think they should be, right? Uh, very arrogant and ignorant response. Well, here's Isaiah. And remember who Isaiah is. Isaiah is a prophet called by God. He'd been in the service of God for, well, at least six chapters, right? He'd been commissioned by God to uh, deliver his word to the people of Israel. And here he is, Isaiah, the one man in Israel who's calling out to his people saying, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your wicked ways. You need to go to the Lord. And here is Isaiah before the Lord. And what is the response that Isaiah has? And it might be kind of surprising, but Isaiah says this, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Woe is me. It's hard to uh, really state just how uh, tremendous that that is. Woe is me. We often use it in a almost comical way, right? Well, uh, if James is upset that uh, he doesn't get his treat, we'll say, oh, woe is you, you poor little boy, right? That's how we may use it. But the way Isaiah uses it is, uh, well, you don't, want to be, uh, you don't want to have a woe pronounced on you. Just in the previous chapter, Isaiah is saying things such as, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. Woe to those who justify the wicked for a bribe. Woe to those who take away the rights of the one who are right. He's pronouncing judgment and he's doing it by saying, Woe to them. Judgment is coming. And now, Isaiah, the man of God, called by God to pronounce judgment on the people of Israel, when he finds himself in the presence of the Lord, he can only say one thing, woe is me, for I am ruined. I am undone. This word ruined is used also to describe destruction that comes on various cities. Moabite cities are described as ruined in the very same way that Isaiah describes himself as ruined. Now, why is Isaiah ruined? I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
When we think of holiness, righteousness, we as human beings have, have a very small mind, a very small capacity to really even see and grasp that. When we look at our own lives, when we look at the lives of others, we may be able to say, oh, uh, I may not be as good as that guy, but boy, am I glad I'm not uh, doing the same thing that that guy is doing, right? We see it on kind of a scale. Well, when Isaiah sees the Lord, the scales are broken, right? He realizes this God is holy on a completely different category. This God, his holiness, makes anything else compared to it look like filth, This God, when I am in his presence, I realize just how unholy that I am. And that really is what scripture teaches. If I compare myself to anyone else, I may walk away feeling pretty good about myself. But when I compare myself to the Lord, when I compare myself to Jesus as I see him in the New Testament, I say, man, I fall short. And that's what the word sin means, right? Fall short, miss the mark. I fall short of the glory of God. And Isaiah, when he encounters the Lord, when he has that picture of holiness, when he meets the standard, he too realizes just how short he falls. Now, Isaiah is a man who knows right from wrong. He knows good from evil. And he's able to look at his nation and say, Woe to you who substitute good for evil, light for dark. Woe to you who are unrighteous. And now, when Isaiah sees the ultimate standard of God, he says, Woe is me. Isaiah realizes that, yeah, as bad as those people are, he's just as bad as they are. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man who has proven himself to be defiled by what I say. The things that come out of my mouth are what are reflective on my heart. And when I see what true goodness looks like, I only see evil in myself. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. I see the people around me, those who I pronounced woe on, those who are so wicked walking against the Lord, and guess what? I realize now that I am just like them. A man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And I realize this now because I have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. What a horrible place to be, a sinner in the presence of a holy God But thankfully, God does not leave us there. And he did not leave Isaiah there either. Isaiah, by his own account, is no better than the nation around him. He's no better than the nations that were previously judged by God and the nations that will be judged by God in the future, by his own admission. And now he is in the presence of the king, his judge himself. Isaiah is not any more worthy than those around him. And yet, the Lord does not leave him there in his sin, in his misery, in his ruin. We continue reading in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and be said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. 
this act of touching a coal from the altar to Isaiah's mouth is an act of pure grace. What does the altar symbolize? Well, the altar is a picture of a sacrifice. What happened at these altars? Sacrifices were offered. Typically, it would be a lamb or some other animal that is killed in the place of the one offering the sacrifice. Every single time someone offers a sacrifice, they're acknowledging that this is what I deserve as I slit the throat of this lamb and lay him on this altar to be burned up This is what I deserve. This altar represents sin, yes, judgment, yes, but it also represents mercy because what Isaiah deserved was not given to him. That altar was used as an instrument of cleansing. Isaiah confessed that his lips We're dirty. And what happens? A coal from the altar is taken and applied to his lips. And he is told that this has touched your lips and your iniquity, that thing that you acknowledge, makes you worthy of death, hell, judgment. The iniquity that you acknowledge places you right along with those others who are worthy of death, hell, and judgment. That iniquity is taken away. And your sin is forgiven. How can this be? How can the holy, holy, holy God of hosts forgive a man like Isaiah? How can the holy, holy, holy God of hosts forgive people such as you and me? Well, the answer is in that altar, not specifically this one, but a heavenly altar where there was a sacrifice provided What do we see in the Lord Jesus? When he went to the cross, what was he? He was a propitiatory sacrifice, a sacrifice that takes away wrath. The wrath that is due to sin is laid on the Lord Jesus. And because of that, we can be forgiven. We can receive that forgiveness. When God looks upon us, he does not see that sin, but he sees the perfect Savior. How is it that we can be clean in the presence of the holy, holy, holy God of the universe because of that sacrifice that was offered on that heavenly altar in your place and mine, the Lord Jesus Christ? Isaiah, sinful as he was, declared and pronounced clean by the holy king of the universe. Finally, verse 8. Then I heard a voice the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. What is the result of this cleansing work? Well, what's the result for Isaiah? He is now fit for service. God has a task for him and Isaiah, recognizing his place before God as clean, as pure, as forgiven, steps up and says, I'm your man. God has a job. He has a task for each and every one of us. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not simply so that we can be saved. Yes, that truly does come with it, but so that we can be put to service as well. And that's what happened with Isaiah. 
Isaiah has a commission. He's, well, it's not a commission I would want to receive, to be honest. He's basically told, uh, to put it bluntly and shortly, you're going to go out and you're going to preach to this people and they're not going to listen to a word that you have to say. Now, how about that for a, a commission? Uh, how would you like to have that as your first job? Well, we've been given a commission too. What does the Lord Jesus tell us? Go, therefore, preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. And how are we fit for such service? Well, in and of ourselves, we're not. But through the sacrificial work of Christ, we, who came from the nations, who can look around and recognize that we are just like them, we too have been made fit for this service. In this insane world that we live in, well, it's really this very same world that Isaiah was in, a world with great instability, where enemies would surround us, where there is a great amount of wickedness, even in our own nation and land. But we see he was on the throne. We see the God who is accomplishing his purposes. The throne of Israel may have been empty. Uzziah may have been dead. But Isaiah knows who the real king is. He knows who the real Lord is. And he realizes that this place belongs to him. And guess what? I am his servant, made fit for his service by the work of that sacrifice that is on the altar. And we too are in that same position. So, what are some things that we can take from this? Well, we see the glory of the Lord, right? God is holy, absolutely holy, absolutely pure. It is not a small thing to enter into the presence of God, to see his holiness. Another thing that goes right along with it, God is holy, that's bad news for us. Why? Because we are not. When we look at the holiness of God compared to us, we see how short we fall. We recognize that we too are worthy of judgment. But God is not a God who leaves us there. Just as God brought Isaiah to him, showed him his own holiness and showed Isaiah his sin, God did not leave him there. But we see that Isaiah is is cleaned. He is purified for service. That altar, picturing sacrifice, death, propitiation, satisfaction of God's wrath, a coal from that altar is applied to Isaiah. And as a result, Isaiah is able to respond to the call. Who will we send? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. May we be a people who recognize the holiness of God, how we fall short of that holiness, and yet how we have been made fit for service. Not because we deserve it, not because we went out and did something to cleanse ourselves, but because of the, that the God of the universe has provided a sacrifice, the sacrifice found in Jesus Christ. May we recognize that we have been made fit for service, and may, and may we respond positively to that call, who will go out for us? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we are thankful for this time that we've had together to read your word. We're thankful for your servant Isaiah and the work that you did through him and the picture 
that you showed him of your holiness, glory, majesty. May we recognize you for who you truly are. May we see ourselves in the light of your holiness. And may we respond positively to the work that you have done on the cross through Jesus Christ. May we be a people who would respond to the call with, here I am, send me. We thank you for this time that we've had to read your word. We pray that you bless the rest of our evening. In Jesus' name, amen.